Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Alex. Yeah, hello. And today we are joined by our friend, Amanda. Hello. Today we're talking about Netflix's You and social media safety. So spoiler alert for you. Sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So Amanda, thanks for being here today. We're very excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. Um, so do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, we're all really good friends from college. Uh, right now I'm a teacher and I teach English. And so obviously the show You was um, something I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I, I'm going to take a step back and say we're not that close. <laughs> yeah, our Ouch. friendship is... No, physically, we're on like opposite <laughs> ends of a table. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. That's all. <laughs> yeah. um, was there anything that happened this week for you that was uh, especially eventful you want to tell our listeners? Um, so I actually started reading the book You this week. Um, mm-hmm. Did not finish it yet, but I have been enjoying it, and I actually found it much creepier than the actual show. <laughs> so if you're into the creepy aspects of it, which I think most viewers are, I would definitely recommend it. Oh. Ooh. I didn't even know that the series was based off a book. Yeah, I wasn't. I don't know if like Netflix says like based on the novel or something, but when you told us that you started reading it, I was definitely surprised. Yeah, I don't know if it says or not, but I know that it did start out on Lifetime, which I think oh. is really ironic because like Lifetime is for like, um, and this is in no way a dig at Lifetime, <laughs> but like for sappy romance shows, like mm-hmm. your single moms at home. And- was this <laughs> not a sappy romance show? <laughs> I didn't watch it, so I don't. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Um, yeah, but this week, I don't mean to brag, but uh, it was my birthday. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds like a brag, but I'm not bragging. <laughs> oh, happy birthday. I'm such a close friend that I missed it. <laughs> yeah, it was yesterday. <laughs> anyway. The tension is thick. <laughs> um, but actually, yeah, Joe and I have some news for you listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Alex and I have had the pleasure of joining the Beacon Performing Arts Center's new improv troupe, and there is actually an opportunity for those of you in the Beacon area to come see us perform, and maybe even perform yourself if you want. March 2nd at 7 p.m., there's an open improv jam. So, Alex and I and the rest of the group are going to perform some improv, and then you can sign up to perform as well. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, Joe and I have both been looking for some outlets in the past couple of months where we could perform, and this sort of just fell on our laps. I mm-hmm. I reached out to a couple of pl- theaters in Beacon looking to start a troupe, and then someone was like, well, I'm starting a troupe. And I was like, oh, can I join it? <laughs> and he said to come to the open jam, and it was like almost like an audition. And they were like, hey, you and Joe should uh, join our uh, team. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, Mr. Mister Director Man. <laughs> um, other than that, I just want to say we're recording in a new space, so hopefully you guys can hear the difference. And uh, I think that's a good segue to get these people some quality content. Um, Amanda, do you think you could give us like a little synopsis of what you is about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So basically it starts off with Joe Goldberg, who is a bookstore owner, like worker. Um, And it all starts when one day this girl, uh, Guinevere Beck, walks in and immediately he is just like in love with her, um, wants to know all about her. And it kind of turns and twists into it being this like 
dangerous relationship where anything that gets in Joe's way of, of getting back or being with Beck and having a great life with her, anything that gets in the way is immediately or, or soon like gotten rid of, mm-hmm. um, just destroyed. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely pretty into the show because it does a very good job at the very beginning for you to be like sympathizing with Joe and sort of put even potentially relating to him. And like as the episodes get more and more in depth into his psyche, we sort of realize like, oh, oh no, <laughs> I shouldn't have been rooting for you. Um, but what about you guys? Like how long were you rooting for Joe? Like if there were 10 episodes, right? Um, like at what episode were you like, oh, I'm the asshole here. <laughs> Honestly, uh, it was sprinkled throughout the whole show, Um, jumping way to the end. I think this happens in like the eighth episode, maybe. Beck finds a box that Joe's been hiding all of her stuff in. So like he has her underwear, he has her phone that he stole, and like a bunch of proof that like he's been killing people. And I was like, oh, Beck, why'd you have to go and do that? (laughs) Uh, oh, no, I absolutely agree. I think um, there were times where, like, I wasn't, like, rooting for Joe, but I also wasn't the biggest fan of Bex. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. I think that Bex, uh, Beck was a really toxic character. Um, I think that in a lot of ways she kind of has a, a negative effect on Joe, and I think her—I don't think she causes what happens to her in the end in any way, but mm-hmm. I definitely see her as a negative character as well. I don't really think there's any character in the show— that is truly likable. Maybe the the character who works in the bookstore with him, I think his name is Curtis. I was going to say, the only guy I could think of is the guy with the beard. Yeah, uh, he's a pretty um, good character. Yeah, and I, I was actually wondering about that myself. Like, did they purposefully make Bex less likable? Like, almost to sort of demonstrate that Joe's obsession with her is fabricated. Like, he sort of idealizes um, Bex... For no real reason other than, like, wow, I'm really attracted to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, In a lot of ways, it's just this huge fantasy that he has in his head about her. Like, um, even in the book, you can see it where he's perceiving everything she does as she's doing this for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's this type of person that I want her to be. Um, And as a viewer, we see her as just a normal girl who um, makes poor decisions, you know. Right. That definitely happened in the first episode of the show where she was at the bookstore. She reaches for a book that was really high. And Joe says something along the lines of she wouldn't be reaching like that if it wasn't because she was trying to prove to me that she wasn't wearing a bra. Yeah. And in my mind, like if if I didn't know what the show was about, that's something that like a, a handsome guy would say in like a romantic comedy of like, this is fate. Like, look, we're flirting. We're having a back and forth. But knowing the context of the show, I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> he's he's misinterpreting. He's going to misinterpret everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And really, she's just reaching for a book because she doesn't need his help to do so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that we hear Joe's thoughts throughout the series, like seeing his perspective. And um, Alex, you bring up a good point about if this were a romantic comedy, Joe would be justified in all of these thoughts. But because of the way the show is like presenting it, we know, like, oh, he's being, like, real 
weird and creepy right now, but it's really just like the lens that you look at it through. Mm -hmm. And just to jump off of that, when he does have his relationship with Karen, I think that that more, it kind of goes in line with the whole romantic comedy thing um, because they're such a great couple together. Mm -hmm. And so we do have this kind of like light at the end of the tunnel, but then slowly that's covered back up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Um, Before we get deeper into analyzing Joe and his relationships. I have one gripe that I'd like to mention if you guys would let me. Yeah, let's hear it. I'm ready. This is a general problem I have with most any show that particularly takes place in New York City, but they always give the protagonist like a fabulous apartment and then make a point to make it like, oh, this they're really struggling, even though they have like a three-bedroom in the middle of Manhattan. And... It really just bothered me. Like, I, I just needed to get that out there. That that apartment is unrealistic. And Beck at what... It normally wouldn't bother me, but Beck specifically says there's nowhere cheaper to live. That's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, she does say that uh, that apartment was given to her through Brown. That's But fair. still, what college is going to give you an apartment like that? Yeah. I mean, she's living in luxury. Yeah. If you, yeah, if you're going to get a quote-unquote free apartment or like a subsidized apartment... It's not going to be a luxury apartment. No. It's going to be like a dorm room with like shared showers and stuff. Yeah, and like you have to be an RA. <laughs> so anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just have been complaining about that since I started the show and I needed to um, get it out on the air. I'm sure many listeners right now are nodding their head. They're venting mm-hmm. along with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but while we're on our apartment, Amanda, you did mention that like Beck kind of just makes bad decisions. Also yes. with her apartment... And this is not to victim blame, but Beck has these huge bay windows and no curtains. And one of the first things we see Joe do is stand on the other side of the street and just stare at her while she's changing. Yeah, and he yeah. kind of even puts that on her like, you like to be watched. Like, mm-hmm. you, you are doing this for a reason. Well, if you're on the first floor. Like, yeah. <laughs> not to mention the acts that she's doing in front of those big, large yeah. windows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, we haven't rated this show yet, Yeah. Uh, so let's go around in a circle real quick. Uh, one out of five stars, no half stars. Joe, I'm looking at you. I will retain my right to give half <laughs> stars if I want to. <laughs> um, so yeah, what'd you guys think? Okay, I would honestly give this show a five star rating, um, and that is totally because I am an English major and I'm obsessed <laughs> with the whole, um, like Fitzgerald thing that he mentions wants to take her on like a themed date um I love that era and so I really loved how that was kind of like wrapped into the show um but even more than that I'm totally into the whole true crime uh kind of like hype that's going on lately and so perfect mix yeah Yeah. being able to mix my two favorite things right now I was like I need to watch the show I need to buy the book I need to read the next one so when they were at that, uh, was it like a Hemingway festival where you're like, oh, oh man, yeah. is that real? Like, I'm going to go It was Charles go to Dickens, and Charles I was actually Dickens. really into it. I was like, can I look this up and go? <laughs> um, I'd give this show probably four stars. Solid four. No 4.5. Because you aren't allowed to. <laughs> I think it's really uh, well written, like the twists and turns it takes. I love... Joe and his... Let, let me rephrase that. <laughs> I think... Uh, I am Joe. <laughs> oh, second point coming up. Uh, I think Joe's actor does a phenomenal job portraying this character. I really like hearing his thoughts. I think the rest of the cast was kind of relying on him. Like, they weren't great. 
but I'm not sure if that's on purpose because like Beck's friends in particular are like kind of supposed to be shitty. So like, I don't know if that was on purpose, but the story, the cinematography and everything else was phenomenal. So I'd stick it at four stars. Yeah, I'd probably give it a 3.5. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I knew it. <laughs> um, I'd give it four stars as well. Um, probably my favorite aspect of the show is how much effort they put into making Joe a quote-unquote good guy or nice guy um, and sort of make you struggle with your feelings towards him. He is a bookstore owner, which I think is like cutesy and romantic. Um, He cares about Paco, his neighbor, uh, who's just this little kid who's really down on his luck, has a, a mom who kind of relies on an abusive boyfriend uh, due to finances. And so you sort of see that his care for this child and like his sort of sensitive, nice guy attitude shines a certain light on him that over the course of the show, you're supposed to recognize like that's not enough to be a good person. Like, mm-hmm. um, But it, it is like a conflict as you watch. Even after he murders one person, it's kind of like, yeah, but that guy sucked. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he murders someone else. And you're like, yeah, but she sucked. Like, it's (laughs) this wasn't me, by the way. I wasn't rooting for Joe the whole time. (laughs) I certainly was. (laughs) Solidarity, brother. Um, Yeah. And according to our viewers, about 30 percent of the people who saw you were rooting for Joe just about the whole show. Whereas 70% um, were rooting for Bex. I wonder if that's honest, though. Who knows? Yeah. Because we would all like to think that you're rooting against Joe. But he is, like, a charming character at times. to where, And, and he, especially because he's the protagonist of the, or I guess maybe your anti-hero. Mm. I don't know what we would call him. But um, he's your main guy. And so you're watching him go through everything. And just as a viewer, you're like, oh, no, don't do that. Like, mm-hmm. don't go in that struggle. You're, like, really rooting for him. And I wonder if... People are really honest with themselves when they're watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, can I just say, there's so few Joes in pop culture, and we finally get one, and he's a stalker. And I think that's <laughs> not cool, but I digress. <laughs> but Alex, you bring up, like, they kind of try to balance out Joe's stalkerness with, you know, nice guy stuff. And uh, eventually we learn that Joe's parents were, like, alcoholic and abusive. We learn that the owner of the bookstore, who was like a father figure to him, was also abusive. And so I think aside from this, Joe has a good side. They try to bring in Joe has a troubled past as well. Almost as if they're like, yeah, like, is he all bad? So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, so to just chime in, um, I, I think that in a lot of ways it, it's hard for the viewer to see Joe as bad all of the time, especially because of Paco and how, mm-hmm. how he treats him. I mean, he's really the only like, good figure in Paco's life. Um, But toward the end of the show, we really see how it turns and almost sets Paco up for the same fate as Joe. Mm -hmm. You know, when um, after he's killed uh, Paco's uh, stepfather or that boyfriend, um, we see Paco kind of learning, like, okay, it is okay to get rid of the bad people. Yeah. And then in the end, when Beck is struggling and trying to get out, Paco's like, well, if Joe is doing this, like, you know, Joe has a good sense of what's right and wrong, and there has to mm-hmm. be a reason why, and I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and just follow him and close this door on her. Right. So we see him kind of almost headed down the same path. 
Mm-hmm. And it was right after understanding, like, it doesn't make it right, but sometimes you have to do it. Yeah. Um, that speech that uh, Joe gave to Paco. Uh, I do have some results uh, from some of the stats that we had uh, on our Instagram story. We talked about nature versus nurture. Over the course of, I guess, 24 hours, we had 38% of our viewers um, believe that nature influences personality more than nurture does, which Mm means 62% believe that nurture is more powerful. Um, When we asked if people are to blame for their poor choices or can they be justified, um, we got 67% said blame and 33% said justified. But when we asked people to explain, more often than not, they said justify is the wrong word and Mm -hmm. they sort of get into details. Um, So what do you guys think? Nature versus nurture. What's going on here? I definitely think nurture. I would agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was I was one of the voters who said nature. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, uh, what fascinates me is um, the anecdotal evidence when twins are long lost and then they reunite again, and you find like a lot of similarities between them that they they, they couldn't have known that about each other. Like uh, they're both truckers. They both decided to grow a mustache. Like they both are uh, divorced. Like a bunch of facts about them end up being very alike, despite having completely different upbringings. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our listeners uh, gave the example that she is one of four kids, and two of them have one father, and two of them have another father. And it's very easier, she says, and people have noticed and mentioned this to her, that it's very easy to identify which is from whose father even though they all grew up in the same household. Um, and I'm, I'm just fascinated by that concept. I think mm-hmm. nurture has an effect, mm-hmm. but over the mm-hmm. when I, we talk about core personality, um, I think nature is more effective. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, it's funny that you bring that up. It is really interesting. And I think even though I think sometimes that nurture has a larger impact, um, I mean, even in my own family, my mom was adopted but she still has, we know her, her birth father, but we still know, um, like, she has a lot of his qualities, even though they didn't grow up, like, she didn't grow up with him or have mm-hmm. him in her life at all. When we see them together, it's, like, kind of strange because they act very similar. So I do see nature playing, a, like, a large role in that. They both have the same sense of humor, even though they weren't around each other growing up. And um, But I still think, in Joe's case, I think that the way he was brought up, I think that that plays a larger role for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, like you guys said, uh, nature does play a huge role. Um, I had three sets of twins in my high school graduating class and one set of triplets. And more often than not, like, they would, like, each set would, like, play the same sport, um, dress similarly and things like that. But also they're living in the same household, so that's, like, harder to justify which one it is. Um, But sort of like I think what you were getting at, Amanda, I think while nature does play a significant role, I think nurture can easily overpower um, a large portion of whatever nature is contributing. Yeah, and I definitely understand like nurture uh, allows for trauma. It it, it definitely develops someone's morality 
like what's right and wrong, I think is a lot more nurture. But when we talk about personality in total, I think nature is uh, more effective in that sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, I have a quote from one of the episodes that kind of ties into this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when Paco's reading Frankenstein and he's in mm-hmm. the bookstore and Joe's talking with him. And as he's reading, they have this conversation. And Paco says, it's cool how you get into the monster's point of view. You understand why he does stuff, almost like it's justified. And it's weird because he's bad, but not all bad. Maybe Dr. Frankenstein is the bad one for even making him. So that kind of ties back to it. It was really weird because then Joe responds, well, maybe it's up to your own interpretation. And so as a viewer, you're like, yeah, it totally is. As he (laughs) stares down the barrel of the camera, like right into the viewer's face. Ferris Bueller kind of a move there. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that's a really great quote um, because it really is, you know, is Joe a monster or are... The adults in his life, the monsters, for raising him that way. Yeah, I mean, we Um, definitely see monster qualities in in Mr. Mooney. mm -hmm. So Yeah. Uh, Something that my brother and I often get in conversations about is definitely the concept of blame. Um, is someone to blame for things or is, are we trying to say they should take responsibility for their actions? Because Mm -hmm. I think those are two separate things. I don't, I try not to blame people for their decisions, but I do, um, understand that they need to receive consequences for their decisions and take responsibility for their decisions. Whether or not it's the decision was based off of their upbringing, whether it was part of their DNA, there need to be consequences. And that doesn't mean that we're blaming them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what um, the viewers that were like, justifies the wrong word here. They were more like, it kind of explains their thought process but what they did was still bad yeah yeah and i think that differentiation would be the first step for um empathy Mm -hmm. or even for forgiveness if someone has done something to you uh, the first step towards forgiveness is understanding why they did it that why helps you move on more Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point So aside from nurture versus nature, something I wanted to talk about was the question of, is Joe good looking? And does that make his actions, at least at first glance, less creepy? We talked a little bit about romantic comedies. And I think those are always like, oh, I feel like if this wasn't, you know, Matthew McConaughey doing this, you'd Mm -hmm. probably think it was super creepy. Yeah, I actually love having this conversation. Uh, Tham, who's been on the show before, and I do have this conversation a lot about, like, what's the difference between romantic and creepy? And we always say, well, it matters how good looking you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, It it ties back to the whole Ted Bundy thing that's going on right Mm -hmm. now, um, how people think that he's so attractive and... Um, even when people were kind of tweeting at Penn Badgley about the show saying like, oh, I would love to be kidnapped by you. Um, it's such a twisted thought process. And really, when you think about it, like these people are just average looking. And, and mm-hmm. it's like, how come it, just because of their actions, we see them as handsome or like because we wouldn't necessarily expect someone who looks like that to behave in such a way. Right. It's mm-hmm. just such a weird um, like way to think. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought up. Penn Badgley on Twitter because people were tweeting at him like, oh, I wish you'd kidnap me. Mm-hmm. And he would tweet back and be like, "That? why would you want that? 
Yeah. Like, I would literally murder you. Did you, yeah. did you watch? Did you not finish the show? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned that also because um, I don't have the specifics, but there was a woman who uh, escaped Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. And apparently she gets, like, hate mail and stuff that's oh like, gosh. why would you run away from him? And, like, oh, yeah. you, you, you were so lucky. Like, you could have been murdered by Ted Bundy. Like, I wish I was you. Like, I wouldn't have run away. And it's just, why would someone want that? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I actually was, like, doing some research on this um, because, like you said, like, why would anybody want that? Um, mm-hmm. And in the research I was reading about, it said that, a lot of women have this, like, want for, like, a bad boy type. Mm. And that in certain cases, this bad boy type need, if it's not fulfilled, can escalate and become dangerous. And so that's oh. when you find women who um, fall in love with criminals or prisoners who write letters, who, um, and even in the worst cases, who join these men in their crimes or kind of mm. push them to commit crimes. Right. So fathers... When your daughter has a rebellious phase in their teen years, let them have it because apparently it can get way worse. I don't want you to date that boy. He has a motorcycle. <laughs> All right, then I'm just going to kill people in my 30s. That a girl. <laughs> um, I definitely, I mean, I think that when you ask the question why, like why do they, I think it's important to get into that because mm-hmm. it goes back to that sympathy and the empathy and more likely than not it has to do with self-esteem um being wanted if someone kidnaps you technically that means they want you and it's a very skewed and aggressive um way to go about it but that oversimplification of why anyone would get kidnapped is in the back of the minds of some people with like low self-esteem who are like ah i wish that would happen to me i wish someone would be willing to kill for me like that persona it's something that they need to work through yeah definitely and and going even more steps back thom always said, like, he could get away with a lot more things because he's gorgeous, um, which I completely agree with. Uh, things that he did, uh, other people wouldn't be able to get away with because Thom is just so charming. He, he could do whatever he wanted to me. Oh, shoot. <laughs> and I think that's a big uh, thing to bring up, too. It's not necessarily attractiveness alone it's charm yeah and that's what they mention a lot with ted bundy too Mm -hmm. is that he was just a charming individual and like it was in a manipulative way you know yeah Mm -hmm. interestingly enough i i read this article um that was reviewing the ted bundy uh tapes Mm -hmm. uh, on netflix and she was very angry at the series because it focused so much on ted bundy and how amazing he was and how he got out of jail and how he like manipulated people and it was almost in like an awe inspiring light and the reviewer was uncomfortable with that and she also mentions that when you interview all of the women or a lot of the women they were creeped out by him the majority of the people that said wow he's so charismatic he's so good looking were the men And the men who almost, like, idolized him in a, like, oh, I wish I was him type of way. Mm -hmm. And that's something that she was very frustrated by because it was like, you know, the moral of the story is the moral of the story everywhere else. Trust the woman's instinct. Why are they ignored so much? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't help now that they're coming out with the movie where Zac Efron is playing his character. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're trying to make 
I, I understand wanting people to realize that a serial killer can be anybody. It can be your neighbor. It can be someone that you're related to. But why why focus so strongly on the fact that he was somewhat of an attractive man to some? I mean, he wasn't even good looking enough to be played by Zac Efron in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Penn Badgley struggles with that, too, with people saying that he's like uh, he's been asked the question over and over again. You know, um, how do you feel that you were chosen to play this role and you're such an attractive guy? And he's like, I don't I, it's important that people see past that, that you realize, mm-hmm. like, uh, even in episode one, like, sure, he's attractive, but he also has this whole side to him that we need to be careful of. Yeah, know? he masturbates watching Bex have sex. What's wrong mm-hmm. with that? In the first episode. <laughs> and if that's not, like, if you don't recognize what's wrong with that, Amanda. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't kink shame. <laughs> don't yuck my yum. Hey, I will never kink shame consensual decisions, yeah. all right? <laughs> yeah, Joe decided to <laughs> masturbate to Beck. Like, I don't understand. It wasn't why? against his will. <laughs> why am I the minority here? Why do I have to... De- <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and that's a decision that I like from the show. Like, they don't, it's not a big reveal of like, oh, Joe's a stalker. From the jump, you're like, oh, this guy's creepy. Yeah. Hopefully. And yeah, and um, I also read that Penn, over the course of the filming, would be given feedback like, oh, can you do that scene again, but like less creepy? And he'd be like, no. I like I think like this is how it has to be portrayed. We're not trying to romanticize this. Like I want it to come off creepy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know I like and how much trouble he got for that, but he stuck to his guns about yeah, it. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I mean it paid off. I thought that the he was great in it. So Yeah. He has a history of playing roles like that as well. That kind oh, really? of like stalker in the background. Yeah. Um he he was before this show, he was famous in uh, Gossip Girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh. in that story he um kind of it hangs out with this group of people, you know, and they're, like, all of, like, these fancy, like, Upper West Side or whatever, New mm. Yorkers. Um, and all the while, like, they're receiving all these, like, tweets or not tweets, but, like, texts about, oh, this person just did this in our school or, like, this is happening to this person. Like, someone's in the background gossip watching girl? and he's Gossip Girl. Oh, spoiler for Gossip Girl. Should have said that at the start. No, I am. <laughs> wow. I just, did I just ruin it for you, I, No, you didn't I ruin it. I was never going to watch it. I was never going to watch it, but yeah, it's I, him. I am perplexed i, I no really i would not have yeah. seen that coming so he has a history of playing that like somewhat handsome and attractive but in the background the creepiest character stalking and menacing wow and, I, yeah you know I, I wish we had an ad reel to play because like i need to take a break like that would <laughs> what a bomb because <laughs> i've always heard gossip girl as a show i've always mm-hmm. heard gilmore girls as a show yeah. i've always heard uh gray's anatomy as a show and like, all these shows, I sort of figured I knew what they were about. Uh, apparently, I had no idea what Gossip Girl was about. <laughs> um, and interestingly enough, in that show, he's a writer. So, oh. yeah, sticking with that theme. He's just basically that character grown up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd love if that was, um, like, the twist in season two. Oh, Like, yeah. you find out, like, he changed his name, and, like, it's really, like, a connected story. <laughs> Serena Vanderwoodson was Candace. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. I, I do want to talk about the very finale of season one where Candace comes back. Mm-hmm. And it really like, got my wheels turning. Is that an expression? Gears? Yeah. Gears. Both are fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so my wheel gears were turning. And 
I was wondering, like, what's season two going to be about? So I wanted to pitch my thought process for season two, and maybe you guys can pitch your versions or just agree uh, wholeheartedly with mine. <laughs> I want Candace to be the same type of stalkerish type of person as Joe. And Ooh. I want them to have been like a power couple stalker. <laughs> um, and the reason that she left was just because he got too invested or something like that. Um, or to the point where even she was afraid of him. So I would love it if she came back and we got in season two perspectives from her stalking someone and then Joe stalking someone. Or they're both stalking the same person and competing for this like mm. bi girl or something like that. That I would love that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I actually really disliked the finale. I think I would have enjoyed it more if we just never got to see the face of that woman until season two. I thought mm -hmm. that that would have been much more interesting. But I, I guess I enjoyed knowing that she wasn't dead, unless she is just still a fantasy, but I really don't think so. Um, I think maybe it'll do a lot of time jumping. Like Maybe it'll go back to the past to see what really happened to her. But I did see in their Instagram that they have another character that they introduce, another female character. So I'm wondering oh. if it's going to be like another Beck situation and maybe Candace tries to involve herself as like the friend who's trying to save her from it. Ooh. I don't know. Ooh. That'd be a good twist. Like she, I don't want to say reverse stalks, but she Ooh, like yeah. stalks her into a genuine friendship and then like tries <laughs> to be like, don't date that guy. Yeah. Oh, that would be good. Um, which... It's not my pitch for season two. I want to make very clear. Um, I think uh, I think Joe, like we've been talking about, like there needs to be consequences. Joe gets off pretty much scotch free. Scott free. Scotch got. Scotch got. Um, so I think season two has to be his world, like crumbling around him. He has this like perfectly man manufactured lie going on. But I would like if what you guys were saying is like Candace is also like kind of crazy and a stalker, I'd like if she basically helps him keep try to keep everything together, like as Dr. Nikki's trial is going on and they start to maybe realize that he was framed um, and then like DNA evidence comes out because Joe, they make a very big point to point out he peed in a jar in Peach. Peach's house, who's <laughs> Peach is one of his victims, and then he leaves it there. So they have his DNA. So I think all that stuff needs to start coming back at him. But maybe mm -hmm. Candace is like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And they try to, like, patch everything up as best as they can. Um, I definitely like the idea of Candace and Joe working together. Whether it be, like, protecting Joe because Candace has secrets as well mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, but overall, I want to I, – I agree. I want to see Joe receive consequences. Yeah, I mean, especially because we never saw anything come to fruition with that investigator, that PI, that Peach's family had mm -hmm. hired. So I mm -hmm. want to see him come back for sure. Yeah, and I, I do want to point out, like, how easy it was for Joe to stalk. And I think that mm -hmm. can really get us into our next topic of social media safety because... He had no problem spending just a few hours and discovering everything that he needed to know about Bex. He does do a few things very extreme at the beginning, like stealing her phone and having mm -hmm. her iCloud logged in. So obviously mm -hmm. that made a lot of things extra easy. Mm -hmm. um, but he also got a lot of information from social media. 
Yeah, right off the bat. Um, I think he gets her phone in maybe the second or third episode. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, like right away, he finds her because all of her social media is on public. public. So, he had her full name because she used a credit card. And I think she like just tells him her full name. She's like, I, my name's Guinevere, but everyone calls me Beck. Yeah, and then she makes the joke that her family, like, hated her or something because they picked horrible names for all of the siblings. Oh, yeah. And then he just Googles her name and all of her Facebook and, like, Instagram pops up. And he actually is able to find her address just by Googling her name. Yeah, it even pops up on, like, Google Maps Street View. and Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but my privacy settings are pretty high. I definitely have it on, like, friends only. I have different names for different accounts. I try not to use the same handle for everything. But I do know that my LinkedIn has Mm -hmm. a lot of my information in terms of where I've worked. And I think if you look at where I've worked for the past couple of years, you can figure out, like, the radius in which of where (laughs) I live as well. So that's definitely not great on my end mm-hmm. um so linkedin is good i didn't even think about that my instagram's on private that's solely because i post my tattoos on there and i don't want like prospective employers to see them my twitter's on public because i am on twitter to get retweets um but i have like my handle isn't my name, um, so if you were to just search my full name, it wouldn't come up. And then my Facebook, I don't even know what the privacy settings are, so um, it's something like I haven't really thought about for Facebook, um, but it's definitely something I should think about. I'm pretty computer savvy, but I would say that Facebook, it, it's really hard to navigate in terms of establishing your privacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, because... As a teacher, I, I, my, all of my stuff is on private. I don't want anybody knowing me. Um, I don't even use my, my real name on there. But um, in terms of Facebook, like even trying to hide your photos or who can see them, mm-hmm. there have been pub- like pictures that I've, I've put up and I've realized like months down the line that it was put up on public. And I'm like, how did that even happen? I thought that I had this set up in such a way. But everything that I have is, is on private. And I think I learned that at a young age when I first got, my, I think, maybe a MySpace or a Facebook mm. and had put up a picture of me in my living room and just some, some <laughs> random guy commented, I have the same lamp. And like, even though that was not very um, like scary at the time, like looking back, like, I, I don't know, I was like so young and some mm-hmm. random guys looking through all of my photos, just analyzing the background. And you can get so much information just from looking at the background of images, you wouldn't even think about it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like something as simple as wearing a sweatshirt that indicates what middle school you went to or like something as simple as uh, your newspaper is showing. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And it shows that the year is actually 1955. (laughs) That's how you know it worked. (laughs) Um, I want to share the results of what our audience said. It was split pretty in half. 46% of our viewers have their privacy settings as public. And 54% have things as private. And then um, when I mention nothing to everything, how much can a person find out about you with just social media? Um, we got roughly around a three. Uh, when I look at the scale, the average answer was between like three and four, but much closer to three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if people know this, but three is still a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're talking about someone who 
spends hours looking at one person's page, like it can add up very easily. I just remembered right now that I posted that I need a roommate. And now a lot of people know close to where I live. I mentioned that I live in blank and blank on this street so that people know the area. And I'm just realizing now, like, I posted that publicly to get more people to um, come by. And if you're not my Facebook friend or you've been my Facebook friend for a really long time, but I don't remember you, you now have a lot of information about you. Especially mm-hmm. that you were alone or are alone. Yeah. So uh, what do I do about that? <laughs> I think you just got to eat that 650 a month, man. <laughs> Take that post down. <laughs> um, I remember uh, when I was in, I guess, sixth grade, that's when like Facebook was kind of starting to gain popularity and so we actually had like an assembly about how to act on social media and like what to post what you shouldn't post um but i think we've gotten more and more open about um our private lives on social media i mean snapchat has the snap map which literally if you have it on is just like uh um, GPS of where you are and maybe only your friends can see it but maybe other people are able to see it you know even if you don't think they are maybe they figured out a way to see everyone on the snap map yeah and I think it's important like if the setting is friend to friend are you really like genuinely friends with every single person on snapchat or are you genuinely friends with every single person on Facebook? I know that at the very least, Instagram is the most popular one where you just want followers. It doesn't really matter who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, keep that in mind. Like, You friended someone who you met at a conference, um, but now like, you totally forgot that they exist. And they're still your friend on Facebook, and they have a lot of information on you. Yeah, and if they're looking through your pictures and they're looking at the background and seeing what, where you've been and what you're doing, or if you post about vacation coming up, I mean, it's very easy to track you down. And the creepy thing about Snap Map, too, is you can zoom in so much to where it's literally like mm-hmm. Google Maps, like Street View. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, and, like, you know, it's at least it was pitched as know where your friends are, like go to meetups and stuff. And I have had friends who were like, yeah, like I was walking home and then I saw that a friend was at the bar and I just deviated real quick and went to the bar to visit them. Great story. I'm really glad that worked out for you. But (laughs) 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 um, if such a good positive story came about of friendship, I'm sure there's at least 10 horrifying stories that also came up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely a fine line of like, well, I want my friends to see what I'm up to. You know, I'm living a fun life. And maybe... I was at the bar and I turned Snap Map on, so if anyone was driving home, they'd see I was there and they'd stop by. So it's definitely like, how do we want to use social media versus what do I want out in the open like that? I will say that I think our generation and hopefully the newer generations are better at hiding their privacy, but mm-hmm. like especially compared to like older people. My mm-hmm. mom posts everything on Facebook, and she's definitely not friends with everybody yeah. on there. <laughs> But um, I think just no matter what, like, if you're online, you just don't have privacy. You, Yeah. You'd have to be in a box room with, like, no windows and mm-hmm. no Wi-Fi or anything to be completely private. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am a uh, Chromebook trainer at my school district. And for every Chromebook session that we do, we are required to show two videos. 
One is about cyberbullying, and one is about this idea of whatever you post on the internet is permanent. Um, and this like girl who's like maybe 12 or 13 is walking around with her friends and people are like, oh, oh, hey, Janice, how's it going? And they're like, how do you know that guy? He's like the most popular kid in school. And she's like, I don't know. And then like she goes somewhere else and like this other guy who's like an adult now so is, is like, hey, I liked your tattoo. And it's like, I guess like one of those rub on stack mm-hmm. tattoos. And she's like, well, who's that? And then she's at the mall, and they're like, oh, that's the girl. That's the girl I was telling you about. And now, like, she's really uncomfortable. And she's at the movies, and this ticket guy is like, hey, when are you going to post another picture? And I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? <laughs> and then this, eventually it goes to the guy, and he's like, hey, what color underwear are you wearing today? And it was like, okay, this, got, this escalated quickly. Um, and while very creepy and maybe exaggerated to some point, it takes one screenshot for your post to not be in your control anymore. Like, no matter what your privacy settings are, you still have to be careful for what you post. As soon mm-hmm. as someone goes, presses uh, the home screen and the lock screen at the same time, you're not in power because they can post it wherever they want and your privacy settings literally mean nothing. Mm-hmm. If you're friends with 90 people, and 10 of them are your, like, half friends, like, now you're in danger. And it just takes one person. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I think is is really interesting that we need to, like, watch out for is that, you know, you mentioned, like, you take one photo and it can be accessed if you send it just to one person. Anyone has access to that. But even within your own phone, you take one photo and then your phone has logged in all of that information. Like, it has the geotags that like keep your location or even what time you took the picture and just logs all of that away like you can even open up your phone to this one um, part of it and it'll show you all of your frequented locations and how many times you've been there and what dates so even if someone else doesn't have the information because you gave it to them um, it still exists in your phone which is scary Mm -hmm. yeah and there are actually apps that exist where like whether you took the picture, whether someone else sent you the picture, or even if they download it off of a form of social media, they can access all of that background information, including your geotag, using the app. So they can download like an Instagram post and find out, oh, you took this picture um, at this park. Um, and in your caption, it said, I love taking a stroll around my neighborhood. And now he has like a one mile radius of where you live. And it's it that was just through one picture. Now he waits another month and he finds it even more specific and even more specific. And what I struggle most with remembering is that the dangers happen over the course of like a long time. Um, It's not like one day someone just decides to do something awful. They spend time researching you, months, um, just to do whatever they want. And when you think about like, oh, I let out a little bit of information this week and a little bit of information that week, that adds up. Mm -hmm. And I think um, going back to you, they show that Joe finds Beck very quickly, but he does not like create some situation where they run into each other. Like, it just kind of happens to him, but it's after, I'd say at least, like, a couple days of him, like, stalking her. So it is, like, 
if someone's willing to do all this, they're going to put time into it. You bring up such a good point. I mean, if she hadn't have been so drunk as to where she fell onto the train tracks, Mm -hmm. I mean, what would have been Joe's next move? When would he have actually tried to orchestrate some kind of meeting or, like, chance encounter? Um, Mm -hmm. Because his his stalking could have just persisted for whoever knows how long. Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking of Joe, um, one of the things that I thought was interesting about the whole social media thing is just what he, I mean, what he learns from Beck, but also what he perceives about her, because, you know, Mm. he's a very uh, perceptive person. And he says that just from seeing what she's posted online, um, he says that's not really who she is. And that um, he's like, your online life isn't your real life. It's just a collage. And like the fact that you didn't post about us meeting just like confirms that we had a connection And so um, even then, he's kind of creating this, like, fantasy world that he lives in while gathering bits and pieces of information about her, like the fact that her father is supposedly dead and she has a brother and a sister and that she grew up on, I think it was Nantucket Island. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, when we talk about stalkers, like, there's there's multiple types of stalkers. There's um, uh, the rejected stalker that could, that's angry and wants like some sort of revenge the intimacy seeker that believes that we're meant to be and that there's like something going on between us some sort of chemistry the incompetent uh stalker that believes we should be together but knows that you're not there yet and is sort of working their way towards it um and the uh predator stalker the one that like wants to hurt you um And all of these types of stalkers can rationalize their decisions, they can minimize their actions, and they can excuse their behavior. It's very easy for them to say, oh, well, she wasn't wearing a bra so that I could see her breasts. Um, Oh, she made her uh, account public so that I could spy on her. Or Um, or even like, oh, Peach is obsessed with her at a dangerous level, so I need to get rid of her. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I thought that was so interesting when... He sees that Peach is basically also stalking Beck, and he's like, she's doing it for the wrong reasons, though. I yeah. love you. She's obsessed with you. And it's yeah. it's just so crazy how rational he can make his actions. Yeah, he really sees himself as an ally to Beck. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to help you get, like, the best life. And, like, I- even when they, are, like, finally start dating and he creates that routine for her in the morning, he's like you're finally writing again now that I've established a routine mm-hmm. for you. So while Peach is this horrible character to him, he's doing similar things and just not even realizing it. Mm-hmm. I think the rationalization aspect is something to um, be aware of because we see Joe say, what I'm doing is romantic, what Peach is doing is creepy. And so especially in this world we have now with social media and technology where pretty much everything about us is out in the open, we have to be aware that there are people like that out there. Yeah. But if they look like Thom, it's okay. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so we all got the same message. Yeah, <laughs> if, they, if they're <laughs> handsome, it's okay. Perfect, perfect. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next time when we talk about Boondock Saints and the ethics of killing. If you liked us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore bald men, and find us on Facebook. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thank you all again, and if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time. Bye.